Ellie's End Mountaintops podcast. I am your host, Gina Johnson, and I wanted to take a quick moment to give you an update before I share the interview for this week. I've been given an excellent opportunity to go back to school full-time to pursue my dream of being able to help people through trauma, accidents, and illness at a much deeper level than I can as a life coach. And I'm going to be giving this my everything, therefore stopping doing interviews for a semester or two until I figure out if I will be able to do it all together. So thank you if you've been listening to the show. I appreciate you being a part of our community. And without any further ado, let's hear our interview for this week. Welcome to the Life's Valleys and Mountaintops podcast. I am your host, Gina Johnson, a certified life coach. You will find stories here from people around the world sharing some of their most difficult journeys through illnesses, accidents, and trauma. Join me on my mission to create a community where people overcoming belong. We inspire and help one another to rise above our difficulties until we make it to our mountaintop. Let's meet our guest today. Welcome to the Valleys and Mountaintops podcast. Today, I am speaking with Daniel from Denmark, and despite living with Fanconi anemia and surviving cancer twice, he is remarkably resilient. Daniel started the Life, Death, and Happiness podcast and allows others an opportunity to share their amazing stories of living with chronic and sometimes terminal illnesses. He has a great sense of humor, and he shares his story to inspire others. Welcome to the show, Daniel. Thank you so much, Gina, for having me. It's my pleasure to be here. Well, thank you for being here on a Sunday and taking your time to share with us. Now that I've told everyone just a little bit about you, will you add a little bit to that about what your life is like today? Today, my life is uh, very, very good. Uh, I'm married to my beautiful wife, and I got a son who is uh, 14 months old tomorrow <laughs> on Monday, so... Uh, in general, I have a good life, I have a good job, I have my dog, I have my house. And, you know, the thing most of us strive to get in life. So, in general, I'm all happy and feeling good. Good. Well, I love starting off on good energy because we always start at the worst of it and then work our way back to this point again. So we're going to talk about your journey and I'm going to ask you to take us to the moment that you consider to be the worst part of your story. And we're going to share what you learned and walked through. The worst part for me was uh, both for me and my family back then. I got diagnosed with this Fanconi anemia when I was five. And back then, nobody had survived that yet. It was a thing where you was expected to die within 10 years after you got the diagnosis. Mm-hmm. But I was so lucky that uh, back then, and I call it lucky. I'm not sure that is the right word. But <laughs> I went through a hard time and my blood count was dropping uh, way below where they're supposed to be. So in the end, uh, about 85, I had more than 30 blood transfusions. Wow. And then the doctors came up and uh, they, were, they wanted to give me something called a stem cell transplantation or a bone marrow transplantation. Mm-hmm. But none, nobody had survived that yet. That was around 84. And at 85, they were like, okay, if we are going to try this, we we need to try it now, and lucky for me, two people have just survived in Paris. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they with my disease, so they actually took the chance 
at the State University Hospital in Copenhagen. And uh, they actually pulled me through this, but it was uh, it was harsh. Uh, you get you getting uh, what you call chemotherapy and uh, uh, radiation, all these kind of things, just with as if you had had cancer. Okay. I mean, they try to kill all these cells that is um, has to do with your blood in your body. So you actually start you're kind of rebooting the whole body. So I got the bone marrow from my uh, older brother, Mike. Mm-hmm. And these one and a half months where I was in was some of the worst I've ever tried. Not just because uh, it was harsh as a kid to understand that I'm going into something that will, will probably kill me. At least there's a good chance of it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when you're raised like this and if you, when you know that you're having a disease like this, you can't, it's not a choice. It's a choice you make. I could have said no, and my parents could have said, we won't do it. But, you know, in reality, if you know you might have two to three years to live if you don't do it, I mean, it's not much of a choice, actually. Mm-hmm. You, you take the chance. And I was very, very sick for one, that one and a half month. And uh, so bad, actually, that one, one night my mom was staying at the hospital with me all the time. And one night, uh, I can't remember if it was in the day or night because I was unconscious most of the time uh, within those days. But they called in my family because they didn't think I would make it through the night. So they were all there to sit there and just hope me for the best. Mm-hmm. So even though I wasn't conscious, the thought of that afterwards also had had a big impact on my life. Being that close and still going, you know, pulling through, getting out on the other side. I'm, I'm not healed for anemia, but I can, I was healed for the bone marrow failure I was in the middle of. So for me, that was a very positive thing, but also a very life-changing thing. So to me, that was probably the worst part back then, at least. Wow, that makes me feel so emotional, just picturing that, like how how scary that that must be being a child and then how scary that would be just being a mom too, watching your kids go through that and not being able to do anything to make it better. Oh yeah, I, di- I didn't get that part I understood when my parents told me it was hard but I don't think I was able to actually understand what that meant before I got my own kid uh, about a year ago I mean how it must to be a parent and and see your child going through something like that I don't think you can ever imagine exactly how that is before you actually become a parent yourself so yeah absolutely being a parent is so powerful mm-hmm. <laughs> So, now, when I when I did your intro, I said you had survived cancer twice. Did you actually have cancer, or is that what you were referring to as what you went through just now? No, I've had a uh, one uh, <laughs> what you call normal, the big cancer since then, and then a uh, small skin cancer. Uh, it is cancer, but when you <laughs> when you're dealing with a terminal disease like this, uh, skin cancer is kind of like. Nah, not not a big deal. <laughs> <laughs> no, but if you, it, it depends on what you compare to. I've met people before I before I ever had a cancer who told me about skin cancer. Like, oh, that's pretty serious. I mean, it's cancer. But now that I had it and I knew they could just cut out a piece of my skin, 
and I was good to go the day after. I mean, then it doesn't seem that big of a deal. Mm-hmm. At least when they discover it in time. And then the <laughs> quote-unquote real cancer I had, <laughs> well, it sounds so stupid when I say it like this, but hey, the, the big or the real cancer I had was in my tongue. And that was at the fall of 2014. I had seen some some white, I don't know, I, I, I usually just called it, it looked like a white bomb on my tongue, but it didn't hurt or anything. Oh. So I was like, yeah, it's probably nothing. Until I got in contact with, it's kind of a long story, but to cut it short, I was told back in the days that I was cured. I didn't know, I did no longer have Fanconi anemia. Oh. I was good to go because that is what they thought back then. They thought it was mainly a blood disease and not a stem, stem cell disease okay so i went a lot of years and there was a time where i was kind of curious about i met a lot of other kids uh going in and out of hospital all the time all the time in my childhood so i was kind of like looking for a few of them i knew so i found a facebook group for people who have been through bone marrow transplantations all kind of people go through that uh, also for cancers and stuff and leukemia but i was just going in there to see if i could find some of the people i knew from back then and I wrote in the, one of those presentation threads, you know, who are you? How old are you? What have you been through? Why are you in this group? And I wrote, yeah, you have Fanconi anemia, but I'm healed and blah, 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 cured. Oh. And, and the day after, I, <laughs> I got a message from a, a girl called Christina. She was like, yeah, we kind of need to talk to you. <laughs> and, <laughs> and now she is a very good friend of mine. And uh, a woman named Christine actually got in contact with me. was like, you probably want to get in contact with this uh, group called Fanconia Nima Research Fund that is uh, American-based. And uh, look up some more about Fanconia Nima. And I was like, oh, shit. I, I still got it. Uh... It's not possible to get cured. And I've already been walking around with this white, gooey, uh, bummy thing on my tongue for about a month. And I was, I could read on some of the first lines was like, yeah, like, I can't remember, 60, uh, 60% of all men will get cancer in the mouth in their 30s or 40s. Oh, my goodness. And I was like, so I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> I, I better go see the doctor. I mean, my wife, she's smarter than me. She had told me <laughs> for like a month, being like, just go to the doctor and have, have you know, let them have a look at it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, in the beginning, I was like, yeah, it doesn't hurt. It doesn't matter. It will go away. After that, I was like, yeah, okay, I'll, I'm going to go there right now. So they took this sample to figure out if it was cancer, a biopsy. But it came back negative, And they was like, nope, no cancer. And I was like, but this looks like some of the pictures I've seen. So I want to get this thing removed. Yeah. Uh, and I was told by my head and neck cancer doctor, the local one, the local expert, that it was not necessary because they have already made the biopsy. So we had a long, let's call it a friendly discussion. <laughs> <laughs> he thought I was wasting him his time in the hospital time, but I was like, no, 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 I, I need to get this thing removed, mm-hmm. no matter what. And I did. And uh, it took a couple of months because they didn't see it as anything yeah. major. Uh, but then I came in, they removed it, and I was out of the hospital again. They removed some of it. And uh, I was in and out of the hospital in like six hours. 
got home, waited 14 days, and I was going to a meeting just to get the, you know, I thought it was just like, yeah, everything looked fine, go home. Yeah. So I went into that, and I, I was kind of running late because <laughs> I'm a big nerd. So a new game came out that day, and I had to go get that get that game because I needed it at launch, of course. But that was more important than actually <laughs> going to this appointment. But I, I came at the right time, and I, I came in. I was a bit stressed. I was like, ah, oh, kind of annoyed that I had to be there for this. And then there were like three or four people walking with me into the room where I was supposed to talk to the doctor. Oh. And one of them was like having this brochure in her hand and I was like, okay, what's going on here? And I, I just looked at that brochure and it said a life with cancer. Oh boy. And they hadn't even spoken of it. I was like, oh shit, what is this? So that was, um, that was very, very weird life changing moment too. Mm-hmm. Um, it was such an almost out of body experience sitting there you know, they start talking about cancer, and you know, then all your thoughts start running yeah. wild about, okay, what is this? And back in 2007, I lost my own mom to cancer. And for from she, from the discovered she actually had something wrong until we were at her funeral, it was three or four months. So, you know, the thoughts immediately start running in my head. It was like, oh, shit, am I close to the end now? What am I going to do? What am I going to, you know, all these thoughts that's mm-hmm. just popping up in your head like that. So I uh, came out from there and they were like, okay, you will get transferred to another hospital. And that suited me fine because that was the same hospital who did the bone marrow uh, transplantation okay. at me, uh, with me back in the days. So I felt more comfortable going to that hospital. But uh, I ended up going through two more surgeries. Uh, before that, I actually got rid of the cancer. The can I use Carol? The bad thing, not the only bad thing, but one of the worst things about having Fanconi anemia is you are not really suitable for getting chemotherapy. Oh, uh, it's kind of <laughs> in fact, it can kill us. It's not, it doesn't have to, but it's not good for us in any way. And if you have had radiation once, you cannot get that again at the same location. Mm-hmm. And it was a full body radiation back then. Oh, so you were in a bad place. Yeah, so they, need to, they needed to be able to remove this surgically. Uh, so that, that was pretty important that they got to do that. So, you know, it's a kind of a strange process knowing all of this and going into it. But while I was at it, I actually felt I was pretty much in control most of the time. I think my reaction didn't come to before after the two surgeries. Right. I had I had one small meltdown <laughs> halfway through. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was like, we had 14 days from uh, the first surgery until I was going to get the result, had to remove all the cancer, how did it look? And my wife invited me to uh, to London in the UK for a few days just to get our mind out of things. Mm-hmm. And we were sitting in this room there, and then I broke down. I can't remember in my grown life I've cried 
like that before. And I was shaking and I felt scared. Maybe the whole process was like maybe an hour. Mm -hmm. But I, at that time, to me, it was like, oh, I was, <laughs> you know, man, a stupid like that. <laughs> we, we don't tend to like to dwell too much on our emotions. A lot of us don't. But, you know, when something like this happened, you have to have a reaction. I think it's very unhealthy to not react in that situation. So I did, and we had a long talk about, you know, what are we going to do from here if it goes this way or that way? <coughs> but in the end, I got through both the surgeries and I was declared by the end of 2014, they were like, okay, you have no more cancers. That's so, a great day. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was kind of suspicious of like, are you sure? <laughs> I mean, so yeah yeah we're pretty sure you you need to be one yeah we're sure okay <laughs> oh yeah were you angry with the doctor that told you that it wasn't a high priority and that you didn't have cancer it's kind of my one of my big regrets is i never confronted him mm -hmm. afterwards because uh there was no doubt that he was having a a hard morning, a difficult morning when I was there. You know, he never sat down. He was standing up all the time. He was like, you could feel in the whole process, he just wanted me out of the door. Yeah. Uh, because he was busy doing something because there was no people waiting outside. So I don't know what was the case, but he seems like he was in a hurry. So I, I kind of regret that a lot. I was faced with a similar scenario because before I had a heart attack, I had a family doctor and I was going to her saying I was getting really bad chest pain and she did some tests and she told me it was just in my head and that I was super healthy and I didn't need to worry about my heart. So I quit seeking medical treatment and I'd actually canceled my living life insurance and just after a month later I had a heart attack and almost died and I sure wrestled with that frustration with the doctor versus the compassion mm. that they're just way too overworked and what yeah. to do with those well, I, feelings yeah i feel i feel you yeah because you, you know they have some they have a difficult job but that is also why it's no excuse at all they need yeah. to be on point with these kind of things and they need to have that i don't know what you call it i mean they cannot afford to not be thoroughly with everything they do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I like that you brought up the point about men versus women with emotion because I find a lot of the women that I've interviewed, <laughs> they, they cry every day like no problem in front of the doctor, in front of their friends, whereas you're right, a lot of men, it's, it's a lot more difficult to allow yourself to get to that point, but it's so important. Oh yeah, you have to you have to do it because I mean we we're not made of stone. Even though some of us maybe be like, yeah, I'm pretty tough, I can deal with everything and blah blah, all that <laughs> all that stuff that comes with being raised as a man. But in reality, we got emotions like everybody else, and I don't think it's healthy to just look the other way all the time and just uh, suppress them. I don't think that will help anybody in the long run. No. 
Now, normally I ask people to share a turnaround point they experienced, but your experience started at such a young age and you've been through so many things. Do you think you actually have a concrete turnaround point or do you think there was many things that... Uh, I don't think I have one. Uh, but maybe it wasn't like one situation, but there's been a conscious choice after I came to know that, okay, this is the fact that I'd had the mouth cancer once. I know that with Fanconia anemia, we have almost 700 times as much possibility to get cancer as other people. And, you know, even though it's, even though if you didn't have FA or anything, you shouldn't smoke, you shouldn't drink, blah, blah, on all of this. Yeah. And to me, I, I just, from that day on, when I, when I knew I had the cancer in the mouth and I read up on it, I was like, okay, no more alcohol for me the rest of my life. Now I need to take responsibility mm-hmm. of my own life. So for me, that I've been more like just flowing with the wind, doing whatever I felt like, but I've been on point with all my appointments with the doctors ever since. I, I don't take no for an answer. Uh-huh. I got a new hematologist last year because I wasn't satisfied with the old one I had. To me, it's so important to take charge, mm-hmm. kind of being my own doctor. Because we don't have any experts in Denmark. I mean, they maybe have like two experts in Germany, a few in Holland, uh, a few in Spain, in Brazil, and the U.S. But that's pretty much it. I mean, we we are talking about less than fifty people, doctors uh, worldwide, who really knows what they're talking about here. Uh, so I cannot afford when I go to a normal doctor who has never heard about this disease before mm-hmm. to to just go in and, and think that they know what to do. I had to educate them, and to educate them, I have to know as much as I can myself. So for me, that was a turning point. I realized that I need to, you know, take charge, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's so powerful, and I (laughs) bet you that that changed your life in other areas as well. Oh, yeah, definitely. Because when you start taking charge of parts of your life, it has a tendency to also include the parts of your life that have nothing to do with the disease at all. Mm -hmm. Does anything stand out that you'd like to share? Did you see anything else improve in your life? My quality of life has improved tremendously. I mean, I, I think I've been pretty good at doing what I wanted to do. But after that, I mean, when I got the cancer, even though I survived, I was told that if you get, if you right now can, if you get five more years right now, you should take that bet immediately. So I was like, shit, if that's right, I need to do what I want to do with my life. So I started to, first of all, one of the first things I did was to ask my girlfriend at that time if she wanted to marry me. And one and a half year later, we we had our wedding, and it was beautiful, and we had a lot of our friends and family and the people we love around us. To me, that was like, it's so easy to say we do this next year or in two years from now. But suddenly, I wasn't sure I had that luxury. So I've been doing a lot of the things. I've kind of changed my way of viewing the world. So if I if I want to do something, I don't plan two years ahead. Mm-hmm. 
I tried to do it within the next three to six months, if possible at all. Because that's, to me, is more realistic. Because I know that, even though I feel good, I have no health issues right now. Uh, within the last year, I've only had one small surgery and a couple of, yeah, maybe that's not small, but <laughs> I've had a few things, but nothing major at all. And I know that the stuff will keep coming uh, until I will get cancer again or the liver will fail or whatever will happen to me. So, I mean, I, as far as I know, I've felt very good for some years now. And I don't have anything like I'm not afraid of getting cancer right now, but I know it will show up. So it's important for me to do what I like now, to show the people that I care for that I care for them. And I, in the first couple of years after I got cancer, I, can't, I was kind of scared to get into, uh, you know, working on bigger projects mm-hmm. because it was like, why, what if I can't finish them? And now I've turned that around. I was like, if I don't finish, I don't finish. It doesn't matter because if I, if I had have that thought of the way of thinking, I will never get to do anything. And maybe, I don't know, maybe I'll live five more years, ten more years, and I'd rather want to fill those years out with good experiences than just sitting back and be like, okay, I better not start on anything big. So I've been doing all kinds of stuff. I used to uh, work up uh, with gaming, and after I got cancer and after that, I actually managed to find myself uh, as call it a, a freelance job within game writing, game journalism. And I did that. So all of a sudden, some of the things I've been wanting all my life, traveling to uh, big conferences around the world, getting paid for that, doing interviews with game developers and all that, suddenly I was doing that. I've met most of my idols within that world just because I actually took charge. I decided that I want to get these experiences. So to me, it has been such a positive journey afterwards, even though it was something negative or something uh, something nobody wants to experience that actually kickstarted it, but it actually made me change so many things for the, for the better. Uh, thanks so much for sharing this. One thing that popped out I wanted to ask you is how, like, do you know how you keep your mindset so positive being faced with the possibility or probability of some of these things happening to you? It's a choice. Mm-hmm. I think it's a very conscious choice. I've decided that my life is good. When, when I look at my life, I have so many people around me who loves me and I love them. I have so many positive things that I can dive into. I mean, but on the other hand, if I if I picked a different mindset, I would maybe I would be like, oh, but I feel bad for me because this or this this or that might happen. But no, I can't explain it otherwise. And it, it's a conscious choice to actually appreciate and thinking about appreciating the things I have in life. That's a good thing to share because that means that anybody listening that wants to get there is able to. It's not like magic or a special gift that you've been given. It's something that everybody no, can do. All. I talked to a friend of mine about a week ago, and we were talking about that. When people have come up to me and be like, oh, oh, you're so strong. I'm so impressed you keep fighting and all that. And I'm like, 
yeah, don't be impressed by that. <laughs> because, <laughs> no, no, but, but it's, it's not, I don't feel like I have a choice. I can either, either give up or I can fight. Mm-hmm. And giving up on life is never an answer. At least not in my world. Not when I have these many people depending on me and all the things, the hopes and dreams. It's just not a possibility. So, I mean, if somebody stepped on your toes or, or slapped you one, would you just bow your head and walk away? Or would you try to stop it in some, somehow? I mean, you cannot just let life... I mean, you cannot decide what will happen to you in life. You can't. Stuff will happen. But you can very much decide how you want to handle it. Mm-hmm. That is a great attitude. And I'm so sad to see our time is coming to an end. I just have a couple more <laughs> questions if we could take just a little bit closer look at your life. Yeah, of course. Uh, anything specific? Yes, I would love if you could share with us if there has been any inspiring podcasts or books that have helped you through some of these hard times. There's been there's been some, but mostly actually, I know it's uh, it's kind of cliche to say the secret and all that. I mean, everybody has read the book and heard heard all these things, and I'm not hundred percent sure that I believe that the you know blindly on what the secret tells us but it does tell us that we need to try to focus on the stuff we want and not the stuff we don't want powerful yeah yeah it, it is powerful because even though I, I don't believe that if i sit down and think about happiness it would just drop down in my lap <laughs> i don't think that's how it works but I need to be able to pitch my own happiness. And I need to be able to make that conscious choice. Because if I don't know what I want, how will I ever know if I get it? So, you know. Yeah. Yeah, good point. I don't, I don't believe in magic, but I do believe that our thoughts are very important for what we have in our lives. Mm-hmm. If you think about pain all the time, all you will see in other people is pain. I mean, if you've just bought a red car, you would probably walk out the next day and and actually think, oh, there's so many red cars here, because now it's on, on the front of your mind. You are actually focused on that. And if you hear a piece of music with a new artist that you really be like, oh, this is great, then you start to actually be like, oh, is that also the same artist who made that this song and that song and blah, blah? You know, you change your focus mm-hmm. and suddenly you see something differently. And to me, there's no difference between a piece of music or the color of a car or whatever and choosing positivity or negativity. Or at least looking on the bright side instead of uh, all everything that could go wrong. That's a good point. Okay, this is the last question. There's two parts to it. Mm-hmm. For anyone listening that wants to find out more about your work or your story, let everyone know where they can find you and then share with us what is good in your life right now. What are you working on that you want to share with the world? You can uh, always find me on uh, Twitter. 
where I'm very, very active. Uh, it's a very big mix of private stuff, uh, gaming stuff about my uh, podcast and all. But it's just a good mix of everything I do in my life. That is just a uh, hashtag Daniel Cold, D-A-N-I-E-L-K-O-L-D. On Twitter, it's very just my name. And uh, the one thing that I'm really is proud of is the podcast you mentioned in the beginning, Life, Death, and Happiness. You can find it on all major podcast uh, forms out there, platforms. And I'm proud of that because it gives people with the term, with terminal diseases the chance to tell their stories. And to me, it's, uh, it's important to do that, but also important to do it with a lot of humor in it. Because I don't feel like I'm devastated. I feel I'm having a great life and a good life. And I want people to be able to feel that no matter what happens in your life, you can always find some something positive within it. And that is also why I talk to these people to hear both what they've been through, but also hear how they actually managed to deal with these things. And I learned so much from every time I talk to someone new. I learned so much about life and it makes me appreciate life a lot more. So I hope, hopefully, people will also have that same feeling when they listen to it. So I'm, I'm proud of that work. Welcome back. I was so inspired with Daniel's story and how he's able to keep such a positive mindset. And that positive mindset is a choice that everybody can have. And I was inspired. I hope that you were inspired or there was something that you could take away from this to use with your own life. If there is, you guys, please take a minute and reach out to Daniel either on Twitter or through his website and just let him know or any of our guests that you hear because it's always nice to hear if you have made a difference in someone's life. And again, this is the last interview for quite some time. If you're listening and you find these interviews helpful, please just send me a quick email info at ginajohnson.ca and let me know and I'll consider starting another season after I've done a few semesters of school. So thanks for being a part of the community. I appreciate each and every one of you and I wish you a happy and prosperous new year.